Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Verse 23, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I think that 24th verse is a tremendous verse. He not only calls us to be sanctified, but then it says, He who calls is faithful, who also will do it. People are not concerned so much about our theology as they are about our lives. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, it seems like the more and more there has to be a separation between God's people and the world. And yet, it seems like there is such a desire within the hearts of individuals to want to be like everyone else. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be thought to be different. We want, we want to be accepted by our peers. And that goes for old people as well as for young people. But God calls us to sanctification. And so tonight I want to look at the meaning of sanctification, the motive for sanctification, and then the means of sanctification. So we're going to be <clears throat> jumping around in Scripture. I hope that everyone has a Bible with them. One thing, uh, when you come to church, you open your Bibles. We're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. None of you girls have a Bible? And you were all brought up in a, in a Christian home? All of you attend Sunday school? And you don't have a Bible? I like to see Bibles open. Out in the car, Charlie. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's two of them out in the car. <laughs> really, we come to church, and the thing that makes us different from the mainline denominations is that we believe in studying the Word of God. 
Amen? And I, I'm not doing this to just embarrass people, but if I have to embarrass people to get people to bring a Bible with them to church and open it up, then I guess I have to embarrass people. <clears throat> Sanctification. The Hebrew word is Kadesh. And it's translated, it means holy or separated. In the Old Testament, the temple was Kadesh. The offering, the sacrifice, the feast days, they were all Kadesh. They were holy. They were sanctified. The priesthood was sanctified. In the New Testament, we have a Greek word. It's called hagios. And it's translated holy or set apart. And what I want to look at is, just for a moment, let's look at the theology behind sanctification. First of all, sanctification is positional. Positional. What do I mean positional? We are, because of believers, because of whom we believe in, we are now the sons of God. That means that I am put in the position as the son of God. I am now the son of God. Even though I've got a lot of changing to do, positionally I'm still the son of God. Positionally I'm a saint. I'm, I'm a believer. I've been separated from the world, positionally. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, and we need to go to 1 Corinthians for this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see that these Corinthians, even though you begin to study Corinthians, you're going to find that they are a church that needs a direction. They're a church that uh, are squabbling amongst themselves. They're a church that has open sin in it. Yet, Jesus, the fact that they believe in Jesus, they are sanctified. It says so right there in verse 2. They have already been sanctified. Uh, I want to read that again uh, in an amplified version here. It says, Who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be hagos, uh, sacred, physically pure, morally blameless or religious, ceremonial, ceremonially uh, consecrated, holy saints. 
That's what we are in Jesus Christ. Positionally, we are those things right now. We're called to be those things, and yet, positionally, we are those things. When we accept Jesus, we're sanctified, we're holy ones, we're, we're saints. Our holiness, according to chapter 1, verse 30, our, our holiness and our sanctification is in Jesus Christ. Verse 30 here of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He has become all of these things for us. <clears throat> so believers are separated unto God and purified and uh, from all moral evil and they're no longer under conviction. They are delivered. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you're delivered. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And verse 1. Peter, an apostle of, James, uh, of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for uh, obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to read that from the Amplified Bible. It says, who were chosen and foreknown by God the Father and sac sacred, sanctified, made holy by the Spirit to be obedient to Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and to, to the sprinkling with his blood. We, we are set apart by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God... If you don't have the Spirit of God, then you don't belong to, to God. You're none of His. But the moment we receive salvation, we receive the Spirit, and that separates us, we become different from everyone else out there. Everyone else out there are dead in spiritual things. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. They have no way of discerning spiritual things because they are spiritually dead but we are born again of the Spirit of God and therefore because we have the Spirit of God we are separated we are different from the world the Spirit does the sanctifying work he enables us to walk in truth and in holiness and in 1st Corinthians chapter 6 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, Do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, 
That means if you're having sex outside of the marriage union, that's a fornicator. Someone who is having unlawful sex relationships, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, there you go, Alice, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But then I like verse 11. It says, And such were some of you, but you were washed. See, past tense, you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The fact that we have the Spirit of our God, we are born anew, we have a new beginning. We are righteous before God. We are holy before God. Even though we had some awful things mentioned in our past. They are no more. Don't let the devil bring up your past to you and accuse you with things from the past. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation. You're not the same person. Hallelujah. Thank God that he can... He can take the vilest sinner and he can make a saint. That is the ultimate. He can take and make, uh, my mother used to say, how can you make a, a purse out of a sow's ear? Well, God can do that. He can take some, some pig and make the, the cl cleanest animal out of that pig. That's positionally. But I also want you to know that sanctification is progressively. It's not only positionally, it's progressively. That means we grow in it. Uh, turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 10. <clears throat> By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did you hear what it said? We have been sanctified by the, that one sacrifice, by Jesus Christ, by that one sacrifice, by the body of Jesus Christ, we've been sanctified once for all. That is positionally. But yet, if you go down the page here, and you uh, now look at verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being, past, uh, I mean, present tense, 
So I mean future tense. Those that are being sanctified. See, we, we have been sanctified. We are being sanctified. Those, th there's a point where it will have been past tense. We will stand before God sanctified. But we're in the process of being sanctified. And so we see both the positional, uh, uh, the positional and the progressive there. And then if you look over at uh, Hebrews 12, 14, <clears throat> it says, Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. I told you that word, hagaios. It can be either holiness or sanctification. But without this being set apart for God, without us being His, then we, we have no fellowship with God. Without which no man will see the Lord. It's... We're going to be holy when we stand before God. You know that? Some people think that they're, all of a sudden they're, they're going to become holy when they get there, I think. But there is a process that started when you accepted Jesus. It's a process that's still going on and will go on until you stand before Jesus. And I see a great need in the church today for growth in this area of holiness or sanctification, uh, a separation. Look at Ephesians 4, and you find in Ephesians chapter 4 that, <clears throat> that uh, we're told, we're exhorted here to take off some things. Chapter 22, uh, chapter 4, verse 22. Paul says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the uh, deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. See, we're to, we're to, who's to do it? We're to do it. We're to take off this old man. We're to put on the new man. Even though positionally we're made holy, we're to, we're, we have a part in this process of becoming sanctified or holy. And this is not the only place that Paul talks about it. He talks about it over in uh, Colossians chapter, chapter 3 and uh, verse 8. He says, but now you must also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have uh, put off the old man with, its, with his deeds and have put on the new man with his, uh, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
But I want you to notice there in verse 8 it says, but now you must, you must. And somewhere we get the idea that once we accept Jesus, now everything's done by God. But there's some things that we must do. We have to stop using filthy language. We have to stop uh, allowing anger to take over. <clears throat> and so we see that sanctification is both God's part and our part. It's both positional and progressive. And now let's look at the motives. Why? What should motivate us to be, want to become sanctified? And of course, the highest motivation that we have for wanting to be sanctified is to please God. See, when, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, it pleases God. And I think that that should be the thing that motivates every one of us to want to grow in the things of God. I, I want to please Jesus. Don't you? Hallelujah. Uh, you remember the hypocrites that Jesus talked to in chapter 6 of Matthew? They were trying to give alms in regards to pleasing people. They were trying to fast in regards to pleasing people. They were trying to pray to, to impress people. But Jesus said, they have received their reward already. See, we don't want to be sanctified to please people. We don't want to become holy to please or to impress people. Our motivation is that we do this to please God. And our rewards will come in heaven. But if you're doing it to impress people, then the fact that you've impressed the person, that is your reward. What a poor substitute for the rewards that God has for us. And so our motivation should be, I want to please God. And because I want to please God, I am going to try to live according to the word. I'm going to put off anger. I'm going to put off malice, that list of things that he said to put off. I'm going to, I'm going to work on taking care of these because I want to please God. How many of you in here have problems with anger? I do. And there's no excuse. There is no excuse in this world to be short with someone. And it's something that God is convicting me that I've got to work on. Why? To impress you? No. Why? To impress my wife? No. She's not going to be impressed by it. She might like it a little better. But the whole thing is to impress Jesus. I want to please him. 
So I have to work on anger. All right, maybe you've got a different... You can look at those in Corinthians and, and, and uh, Ephesians, and maybe there's different areas that you've got to work on. But we all need to be working on our sanctification. We need to be different from the world. The world's the one that, that the moment is, things don't go right, get angry, right? That shouldn't be... That shouldn't be the Christian attitude. And yet, it's still quite prevalent. Falsehoods. It says in there, you shouldn't lie. First Corinthians. Remember there where we were just reading? Shouldn't lie. And yet, how many of us need to work on that area of telling complete truth. Exaggeration is a lie. Even if it's evangelistically speaking. <laughs> it's still a lie. We need to be truthful. Someone said to me the other day, and I can't remember who it was, they said, I'm beginning to see where not saying something. I guess it was you, wasn't it, Bert? Not saying something can, can be just as bad as lying because you knew the truth and yet you deceived the person by not saying something. Think about it. How many times have you told someone, I'll be over to your house at such and such time, and, and instead of calling and telling them you're not going to be there, you just let it slide? You ever had that happen? Isn't that a form of a lie? form of deceit. See, we're, we're to be different from the world. The world's the one that says, hey, I'm working on your house trailer. I'll have it ready for you tomorrow. And they know good and well they're not going to have it for a month yet. That's the way the world operates. But we're to be different from the world. Secondly, our second motive should be that we may, might be worthy of our calling. First of all, we want to please him, but then we should be, want to be worthy of our calling. You know, we, we have a high calling. We're called to be the sons of God. We are called kings and priests unto him. That's heavy. Think of the harm that's been done to the body of Christ just in the last few years here by moral 
uh, I don't want to say decay, moral failure. Moral failure. Men in high positions, men in places of leadership, men who God has trusted with his word, who have failed. There's a story that recently came out in the newspapers, it was in U.S. News and World Report, about a minister in a large denomination who strangled his wife, or was accused of strangling his wife. And Sarah Peterson has these words to say about it. She said, the veneer of, perfect, uh, of uh, perfection suddenly began to crack. The veneer of perfection. Is that all it is? Veneer? Is that all it is, an outward pretense? If that's all our sanctification and holiness is, then we're in trouble. If we're just hiding behind some kind of a facade to, to kind of play a head game with people, then we are of all people to be pitied. Our Christianity ought to be real. God didn't call for someone to imitate. He called for people to be real. And I think it's time that we as Christians realize the high calling of our position. All it takes is just a moment of weakness and you can blow your whole testimony. That's all. And we must realize that he that thinketh he stands, take heed lest he fall. And so we ought to be praying, God, please keep me from the evil one. Keep me from falling. Isn't that how he told us to pray? We, we've got no position to be haughty about it, but yet we need to be working on it, realizing that we represent Jesus Christ to a dying world. And last of all, I want to talk about the means of sanctification. I mean, it's one thing to tell you what sanctification is. It's another thing to tell you that you need sanctification and the motivations for it. But if I stop right there and don't tell you how, then I've really missed the whole thing, haven't I? So let's talk about the means of sanctification. Ninety-one times in the New Testament, the Spirit is called holy. He's a holy spirit. And we're told in Acts chapter 2, that you shall receive power. Isn't that right? When? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
and you shall be witnesses. You see, God's standards are holy, God's Spirit's holy, and the Holy Spirit plays a large role in our sanctification. If you uh, want to look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 16, Paul says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified how? Sanctified how? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the instrument that is going to sanctify you. And there's only one way that you're going to become sanctified, and that is to live in the Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, verse 11, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit was the instrument. Chapter 6, verse 11, that was going to sanctify. The Holy Spirit helps us to control and uh, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And I love Romans 8 because it's so clear. Paul is struggling in, in chapter 6 and 7, he says, who's going who's to deliver me from this body of death? In other words, the body has control of him. How, how do I find victory is what he's saying. And he says, praise God. Praise God. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. So then with the mind I... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I serve God with the Spirit, you see. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. If we uh, would look on down here at Romans 8, verse 5. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So it depends on what you've got your mind set on. If you've got your mind set on spiritual things, if you've got your mind set on pleasing Jesus, if you've got your mind on living a holy life for Jesus Christ, then you've got your mind set on the things of the Spirit. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death. In other words, to be minding this flesh is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because, of the, uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It, it, it's directly against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then, those who are in this flesh cannot please God. We've got to become spiritual men and women. We've got to live according to the Spirit. 
but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of god dwells in you now if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he is none of his and if christ is in you the body is dead because of the because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of him who uh, raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you therefore brethren we are not debtors to the flesh you don't owe the flesh a thing to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if you live according to the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body in other words anger and malice and you put those things to death how how by the spirit see god did not is not asking you to do something that's impossible he is asking you to take that which you have given him and so be or so obedient and so uh, uh willing to follow the leading and the guiding of the spirit that you put to death all of these worldly vices in your life and god is looking for spirit filled people to be a witness to a world that's dying that he might save some out of this world and it's our job we've been commissioned but the only way you're going to do it is through the power of the spirit amen hallelujah praise god I think that we need to recognize first of all our position in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to recognize that there's a part for us to play. And thirdly, Paul says, I have not yet obtained, but I press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He was going for the prize. And there's too many that's just willing to get along i think we ought to go for the prize don't you let's go for the gold hallelujah there is more to this christian life than we have obtained but but it's all available to us paul said but one thing i do forgetting those things which are behind i reach forward to those things which are ahead i press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in christ jesus that was his motive that was his one desire more than anything else more than than uh life itself he wanted to go for that prize the high calling in christ jesus and that's what we're being called to tonight amen Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us as we go for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Father, we know that everyone runs in a race, but not everyone is a winner. But Lord, you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have given us of your own Holy Spirit.
You've given us your life's blood. You have provided a way for us. And God, we can, we are victorious. We can overcome the things of the flesh. We can be different. And Lord, I guess the main thing is that we want, we've got to want to be different. We've got to want to be sanctified and holy and set apart. And Lord, it's not a popular choice this day. We know that many have chosen the way that leads to destruction. Few there be that finds their way to eternal life. But God, tonight we would make that choice. Help us as we go for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. For it's in his name we ask it. Amen. God bless you.